can't believe I was able to get that high and not. I'm just glad you didn't go another one. <laughs> oh, no. You're right. Okay. Second Timothy chapter 2. Reading the last letter that we have from the pen of the apostle, Paul. Writing from a dungeon in Rome. Give this back to you, son. Writing from a dungeon in Rome to his beloved disciple, Timothy. We're going to be reading chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, but before we do, let me remind you of the context. Essentially, he has told Timothy, do not let my, the fact that I am in a dungeon and about to be executed in any way hinder you in your discipleship. Don't you dare let my life experience hinder you from following the Lord Jesus because the day with a capital D is coming. The day of Christ is coming. The day when every saint of every age will be yanked out of their graves. Now, when we, are, when we die, what's the definition of the word death? It's when the spirit and soul separate from the physical body. Physical body goes into the grave. But the spirit and soul consciously enter into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we, we, get, we, we get to enjoy the presence of our Lord, his Father, God, the Holy Spirit. The, we're in heaven. And then when Jesus returns, because that day of Christ is coming, that day of Christ is coming, when Jesus is going to rip open the heavens, and we're told in Revelation chapter 19, he's going to ride out on a white horse. And then you will be riding out as well on a white horse. The saints of every age riding out, filling the heavens behind Jesus. And he will subdue, judge, annihilate his enemies. And then he will gather all the people on the face of the planet. He will gather first the Jews. We're told this in Ezekiel. He will gather the Jews to a place south of Israel called the wilderness of sin. And he will enter into judgment. And he will separate the believing Jews from the unbelieving Jews. And the unbelieving Jews will be cast into torments. And the believing Jews, he will then lead as their shepherd into Israel. And then he will gather, supernaturally gather, every surviving Gentile on the planet to the valley of Megiddo. And he will enter into judgment with them and in the same way separate the sheep from the goats, eliminate every unbeliever, so that once you get past, what is it in Daniel 12? I should ask Marilyn. She's the expert. 75 days into the one first thousand year reign, thousand years of the reign of Christ called the millennium, the earth will have been cleansed of all unbelievers. 
and the day of Christ will unfold and unfold and unfold and will continue. Ladies and gentlemen, that's worth the wait. The Apostle Paul is in a Roman dungeon. He is going to be executed. But he's not deterred by that. He's not discouraged by that. And he is sending this letter to Timothy. Don't you dare draw discouragement from my example. Press on, press on, press on. I, Paul, in fact, am excited by the fact that I soon will be in the presence of my Lord. Don't you dare be afraid. And don't you dare be ashamed. Because the day of Christ is coming. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, he says in chapter 2, verse 1. Be strong in the grace and the provision that is in Christ Jesus. You hold fast, he has said in chapter 1, verse 13. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. Hold fast the gospel truth. Hold fast the truth as I, as I laid it out for you. The truth of what our God is who he is, how he is constituted, what he does, what his nature is, you hold fast to that. As he says in 114, keep by the strength of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. You keep, you hang on to what I have taught you because liars will step in and try to pull people away. And did we see that not happen in church history? Yes, we did see that happen. And as you read the history of the Christian church, you see people being pulled in false directions by false teachers. But there was always that element in the church of those people who told the truth and told the truth and told the truth and, and paid a price and paid a price, even at the hands of other so-called Christians, paid a price and paid a price and paid a price. But they now stand with a grin on their face in the presence of their Savior because they paid that price because they believed the promise that it would all be worth it and more than. One of the, we say John Huss. That's the English way of saying Jan Hus was a, he was the top priest, the preaching priest at the cathedral in Prague, Czechoslovakia, Bohemia. And the more he studied the word, the more his understanding of the truth became clearer and clearer and simpler and simpler, and he began to preach a simple gospel that all we need to do is cast ourselves on the work of Jesus Christ and we have we are completely welcomed in the presence of God by what Jesus did for us on the cross it is a finished work we don't need to run said the Roman Catholic priest Jan Hus we don't need to jump through the Roman Catholic hoops well some people were unhappy with that and so this is about 14, early 1400s. They, oh, we're having a church conference over here, Jan. 
If you just come, why don't you come and explain to this church conference what exactly you're saying that's so unique that has all those people in Bohemia and Moravia really, really excited. And so he, and we will not harm you, we promise, we will not harm you. And he went and they burned him at the stake. And one of his enemies said to one of his followers, your hoose, your goose is cooked. That's where that expression comes from. Your goose, the name hoose meant goose. Your goose is cooked. Well, he found a welcome in the presence of his Savior. And even here in Texas, you may be aware there, there are churches today here in Texas, Czech Moravian Brethren. Because 100 years later, when the Lutheran missionaries showed up in that part of Europe to explain the gospel to those folks, they said, yes, we know. <laughs> they weren't being belligerent or snotty about it, but they just said, yes, we know. That was the message that the Lord brought to us 100 years ago through this man. The Czech, in their, even here now in the world, the Czech Moravian brethren. We have a God in this fallen, difficult, hostile world who is Lord, who is going to bring us through to that day of victory. And when it happens, there won't even be a <laughs> hesitation. Was it worth the price? Chapter 2, verse 14, Remind them of these things. Charge them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Hey, hold fast. Keep that which has been given to you by the Holy Spirit, that body of truth that I placed into your hands. You keep that. That's your primary responsibility, Timothy. Remind them, your hearers, those faithful men that I mentioned to you who will be able to pass it on, teach others also. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord. Not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Don't focus on the tertiary elements. Focus on the central elements, the core. What is God like? Who is Jesus and what did he do? What does the scripture say, both Hebrew scriptures and the Greek scriptures, the New Testament? What do those scriptures say about him? And be loyal to that testimony. Not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. This isn't a debate society. This isn't about who's smarter than somebody else. Walk in humility. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You will not stand before those who are your contenders as you hold fast to the truth. You'll be answering to God. Do not allow human opinion to push you one way or another. Test everything against God's word. Everything. And do not bow to social pressure to please someone other than God. 
Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, correctly understanding it. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And there are, you can see it in the Christian world today, these people that are out there mouthing certain things. And what is it is to pull people away into their own camps and their, so that they will become disciples of that person. And oh, by the way, if you will send me $10 today, God will overwhelm you with $100 of blessing tomorrow. That's just one version of it. What Paul is saying is very simple. If you can't stand before Jesus in that day to come and comfortably explain what you have declared to other people is the truth, then keep your lip zipped. Always ask yourself the question, would I be willing to stand before Jesus at his judgment seat and answer for what I am communicating to other people? And if I can't say, thus saith the Lord, I better not be declaring it as God's truth. Because you don't want to have to stand before Jesus and explain why you lied. Or spoke without the appropriate confidence. But shun profane and idle babbling, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. <clears throat> Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Oh, you know, that resurrection of believers, that's already passed. In fact, Paul is addressing that very false teaching in 1 Thessalonians, the early, which may be the earliest part of the New Testament we have that was ever written before the Gospels even. Because the Thessalonians have, been, have heard that the resurrection has already happened. What's going on? The rapture has already taken place. What's going on? And Paul is writing to correct them that false doctrine that had come their way. Honestly, folks, would you want to be Hymenaeus and Philetus and have your name inscribed in the Scripture as, as a false teacher? I don't. It's not very appealing, but there it is. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God's of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Well, gee, I, that fellow made a strong profession of faith, and now I see him way out in the spiritual weeds. What? God knows those who are his. Amongst the 12 apostles, there was that man who was the son of perdition, Judas Iscariot. And Jesus knew. He declared that long before the upper room. Jesus knew who was his and who was not. We may be fooled, but he's not. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from 
from iniquity. If you stand before the crowd and declare yourself to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, stop sinning. Lay hold of God's truth and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit so that you stop sinning. Now, I know that's a giant statement, but the scripture says, be imitators of Christ as beloved children. Stop cutting yourself slack that God doesn't cut you. Stop giving yourself permission that God doesn't give you. He is supposed to be your Lord. That suggests obedience. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, whoever cleanses himself from the latter, from dishonor, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, set apart, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Now, look, consider this illustration that Paul is using. You've got a large household. A wealthy man is the head of this large household. And he has servants. He has people working in the kitchen. He has people working in the fields. He has house servants. And the table is set for him. What kind of silverware and glassware and plate do they put in front of the master of the house? They put (laughs) at least clean cups, plates, utensils. Now, in some cases, it may be a plain cup, but it's clean. In some cases, it's a silver cup or plate, but it's clean. It doesn't come into the hand of the master unless it's at least clean. Do you want to be useful to Jesus himself? Let me ask you a question. Let's talk about Peter. I mean, we have Judas Iscariot. He was the son of perdition, and he went off and was useful to the devil in betraying Jesus, which was all in the plan of God. But you also have this fellow Peter who said, everybody else might deny you, Jesus, but not me. No, sir, not me. Peter, you're not going to get through the night without denying me three times. You know, in the gospel, in the narrative, at least in the gospel of John, Peter never says another word until later when he denies Jesus three times. Then he hears the rooster crow. No one wonders whether Peter was an authentic disciple. He was. But he wasn't 
that cup at that point that could be picked up and immediately made use of by the master. Now, as you read John's gospel, what you find is Jesus completely restoring Peter. Martha, excuse me, Mary, Mary Magdalene, you go tell my disciples that I am going to into the presence of their father and my father. My Lord and their Lord. And then I will come to them as I said I would. And so when Mary Magdalene brought word to them, my father and your father, these are men that had all fled. In a sense, they had all betrayed Jesus. None of them, but publicly taken a stand for him. And he restored them. But then as you read John's Gospel, the last part of John's Gospel is Jesus making a special effort of restoring Peter, who had denied Jesus three times. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes. 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 Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. We can be cleansed. We can become that cup, useful, fit to go into the hand of the master himself. Even if it's a simple clay, ceramic cup, not the silver cup, we can all be fit to fit in his hand and be useful to him. Whether we're ordained or not. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, from dishonor, he will be a vessel for the master, sanctified, set apart, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And here's the list to go down. Flee youthful lusts. But pursue righteousness faith, love, peace. These ought to be characteristic of me. Righteousness. I'm consistently making righteous decisions instead of sinful decisions. I'm walking by faith in God's promises. Love. I'm washing the feet of other people. And peace. I will not let Satan steal away that precious gift of peace. I have a right to peace. Because I have the Lord who is master of all things. Even when I am in a Roman dungeon, they cannot rob me of my peace. Flee all so youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart with clean motives, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. There are some people that, in fact, want to create strife. Why? Because they want to pull a following after themselves. Don't fall for that. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, and when people try to generate them, stop it from happening. 
And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. It's not about people agreeing with me. It is about us agreeing with Jesus. And we must be gentle. We must be meek. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. Patient. Folks, I'm 68 years old. And you know what? Jesus is still teaching me stuff. (laughs) And he is very, very gentle and patient with me. He is meek with me. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek. And it's the same word translated here, gentle. For I am meek and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. You know, if there's anybody that could beat us up with his credentials, it's Jesus, but he doesn't do it. He calmly, quietly keeps doing the program with us. And any hindrance to the speed of that program is found in me, but he's willing to take the time it takes. And so should we be. Patient in humility correcting those who are in opposition. Why? Because there was a time when I was in opposition. There was a time when I needed rebuke and correction. And so I need to be humble in that process with other people. I need to be imitating Jesus in that process, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance that they will accept his rebuke and correction so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. What is devil throwing a snare out there? What is it? Lies, misunderstandings, and he catches you by the ankle and starts pulling you, laying hold of you. And what's the element? Lies. Let me tell you what. The number one lie, the number one subject of Satan's lies is this. What is God like? What is God like? That was his approach in the garden And it still is his approach because it works better than any other approach. And you need to always be careful when you're listening to someone teaching or reading the scripture yourself or or reading whatever it is. Ask yourself this simple question. It's not the only question, but it is the number one question. What does this suggest to me about what my God is like? And if it doesn't match the scriptures, that's when you need to close the book or turn off the dial or in whatever, pull yourself away. Our God is holy. He is good. I mean, he is good. Did I say he's good? That was the very trait of God that Lucifer was attacking in the garden. And he has all power. Nothing is withheld from him. And he is wise. He is good at what he does in the application of his goodness 
and his power. He's very, very wise. He is righteous. The number one point of attack of Lucifer is what is your God like? Because where is it that when we are tempted to depart from God and throw in the towel, what is it that would cause us to do that? It is when we think less of God than the word of God says of him. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. I'm going to throw you a curveball. Now, it wasn't a curveball at all to Timothy because Timothy read Greek. Mark, what's going on? Are you just throwing this, I'm a great scholar, stuff at us? Is, is this what you're... Let me tell you something about the Greek language that is not found in the English language. In the English, you know, y'all know what a pronoun is. A pronoun is his or her or that. And a pronoun always in English... Let me use this passage that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him, the devil, to do his will. Now, in English, we read that his will. Well, to get, yeah, Satan's taking me captive to do his, Satan's will. The Greek language has a feature where you can have a pronoun that doesn't go back to the immediate antecedent noun, it goes back to. It skips that one and goes back to the former one. The first one is where it just goes back to the immediate antecedent. That's autos. But if they use the word akanos, that skips over and goes back. So let me read this the way Paul wrote it, meant it to be understood, and as Timothy understood it, because they're both writing and reading in Greek, and they know how it works that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him, the devil, to do God's will. Wait a minute. They're taken captive by Satan, but it's to do whose will? God's will. Folks, if there ever was a mighty, powerful proof of the power of our God. It is, I'm going to drop this on you. Maybe some of you say, yeah, I know that. You know who Satan is serving? God. He hates it. He can't not serve God. Who put Jesus on the cross? The immediate sense, Satan did. He was the one who filled Judas to betray Jesus and governed the Jewish authorities and even had Pilate, put who, somebody that he knew was innocent on the cross. And while on that cross, Satan had read Isaiah 53, and yet he put Jesus on the cross and he paid sins penalty for us all we it's isaiah 53 all we like sheep have gone astray and the lord has laid on him 
the iniquity of us all. And while Jesus was on the cross, he paid sin's penalty for the entire human race. And that broke all of Lucifer's kingdom power. It's all over, folks, except the shouting. Satan's power is totally broken, and he was serving God when he put Jesus on the cross. And that's not just a one-off. That's the way it always is. Is our God God? <laughs> or is he God? Absolute, unrestrained, unrestrained master of all things, the flight of every molecule in his creation is governed by him. Even the wicked ones serve him. Can you find it in yourself? Can I find it in myself to serve a God like that? I think so. I think I'd be an idiot, a fool, to serve any other God or to follow any other course of life. And Paul, sitting in Nero's dungeon, he's not discouraged. He still is full of courage. And he is encouraging, filling with courage, his disciple. Here is the man sitting in the dungeon encouraging the guy who's free because he knows what his God is like. Let's give praise to our God. Our God, we are so thankful that one of your traits is absolute mercy. And in that mercy, you tracked us down and by the work of your Holy Spirit and your word, you laid hold of us and you slam dunked us into the kingdom. We're so grateful that we are yours because you pursued us. It's not an accident. It's not a mistake. You made us yours, your children. And you are still about that work. And Satan simply, not only can he not hinder it, to his own angst finds himself actually serving your purposes in this world. And we are so thankful that you are the God of absolute power, wisdom, and goodness. Holy God, we give praise to you. Make us useful to you this week, we ask, to share this truth with others. We ask this of you, mighty, aggressive in all of your mercy, God, and in the name of your Son, amen. <laughs>